Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. And we're all eating too many pretzels. What fresh hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood. Oh gosh, how am I going to break this news? With Margaret Abels and Amy Wilson. You make everything worse. A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas so you don't have to. I hate myself for loving you. Welcome to What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And this week, we're going to talk about the great regression. We're regressing, guys. (laughs) I'm regressing into like a cellular state at this point. We are. We're going to talk about that today. I've done my research. This is a research one, you guys. We are all regressing babies, toddlers, tweens, and grownups. And we're going to talk about why we're doing that and what doesn't work and then what does work to make it better. But yeah, we chose this topic because I kept noticing on the Facebook page, people were like, my potty trained child is no longer potty trained. My good sleeper is suddenly not sleeping well. And I recently did an Ask Margaret about whether we should sleep train right now. And I kind of addressed this thing of, it doesn't seem like anyone's doing great at this point. Amy and I, before we got on, we're just talking about my kid and all my kids, my whole family, how we've really fallen back into some really bad eating habits, <laughs> which is, you know, part of the thing of like, I guess I'll cook 20 scones every day because I have the time. And so we just, it feels like we're all regressing. And so if you're not on our Facebook page, come to facebook.com forward slash what fresh hellcast and join the Facebook group because this is where I noticed this trend. You know how they say that, Amy, that like they're reading whatever remote temperature data and they're like, oh, we can see where stuff is going on. It's like, wait, I think I see on Facebook that everyone is having this common problem. And I have a feeling in your research, Amy, that you found that this is a real thing. Yes. And you actually just mentioned last week that baby talk is back in your household after a somewhat long absence. Oh, and when I say baby talk, my youngest kids are eight and nine, and I'm noticing it in them. Mm -hmm. Eight and nine are like, mommy, could I please have... What? What is this? (laughs) All right. So let's talk about the different ways that this can show up, because I think we know it when we see it, but there's a lot of different ways that this can manifest. For younger kids, they might say, you know, hold me like I'm a baby, pretend I'm a baby, that kind of stuff. If you've gotten past the thumb sucking or the pacifier, maybe you haven't now, like the pacifier is sort of showing up out of the crib on the couch in the afternoons. 
potty training. Kids who were on the potty training path or fully there might regress, start having accidents, or start wetting the bed for the first time. Yeah. So why is this happening? Because I definitely see everybody posting about this. Yeah. Let me just say, it can also manifest in ways that aren't necessarily so clear of like, treat me like I'm a baby. It can be eating more than usual. Yes. Or eating less than usual. Changes in your children or your own eating habits. Well, picky eaters, much more picky all of a sudden, controlling their food, right? Yeah. Kids can be more clingy or more like rejecting. Or if you have multiple kids, they can be both, which is fun. Yes. One who won't let go of you and one who keeps screaming that you're the worst person (laughs) alive. I'm speaking, what do they call extemporaneously, Amy? Well, it turns out that I make everything worse. So that's what I'm learning. For all three, though, because that's the thing. There's one for whom I am absolute kryptonite. And then there's two for whom they suddenly want to sleep with me and like want to be with me all the time. Well, let me tell you what awaits when they get older. So my kids are 12, 15 and 17. And my 12 year old is sometimes still mommy's little child and sometimes not. Sometimes that child will cross the Rubicon to stand against me with the older siblings to say that, yes, indeed, I do make everything worse. And they're right. And why do you always insist on reading the rules of a board game we've never played before instead of just playing it, mom, like that kind of thing? (laughs) Really? I mean, but if you behave like that, if you insist on reading the rules before doing it, this is something I see in my kids now that I'm homeschooling them, the let's just dive into the questions and just hazard a guess at each of them rather than doing the reading. It's like read this paragraph and then answer the questions. And two of my kids are just always like, let's go with this. And I'm like, well, you have to read the paragraph. Otherwise, you will have no idea what the answer is. And they're like, I think I can wing it. Yeah. I mean, A plus for self-confidence, but like D minus for scholarship. Oh, I mean, we, we talk about this every week because it's what I'm going through. But the like, I need you to help me with this, mom. And also, I hate myself for loving you like that thing at the same time. <laughs> I hate myself right. for loving you. Oldie locks alert. Back in my day. Go look up that song if you don't know it, guys. It's a bop, as the kids say. It's playing nonstop in my house. So, all right. Yeah, it's the theme. So regression, but it's. Why is it happening? Are you ready for why it's happening? I am so ready because I really, I'm giving myself, as you know, I can't say this series of words, a back pat, a pat back. I'm giving (laughs) myself a back pat for figuring out that this was a thing. Yes. Behavior is communication. I believe you said that to me, Margaret, and I think about it. I do often say that. That's a touchstone of my mom's who is a family therapist. And wow, behavior is communication. Love it. It's being communicated. This is a stressful time for everybody. I'm going to give you another truth bomb. Claire Lerner is a child development specialist. She says, when kids feel out of control on the inside, they lose control on the outside. And she puts that towards everything from more temper tantrums to potty accidents. Like they are showing you how they feel because they can't tell you. Well, and as I say, like, wait, why is this happening? Let me in, Amy. It does seem pretty clear that the littler you are, the more care you get. And so when the world outside suddenly seems very frightening, it actually makes a lot of sense that you would regress backwards because what you're communicating is, help, I'm frightened, and I want to be a baby who is taken care of all the time and not a grown-up who has to deal with coronavirus. And yeah, not somebody who has to be in charge in any way, right? Treat me like I'm a baby. I mean, I feel this way quite a bit myself. I'm like, let me get into bed under the covers in literally a fetal position because I need a lot of 
care. And the thing is, when you are a baby being taken care of, like you are all good. Like you're not particularly worried. What if my mom doesn't feed me tomorrow? Like you're very in the moment as a baby and you're pretty sure everything's going to be fine and somebody's going to pick you up when you cry. And I think it's that we're seeking that return to security. Carl Jung, if I can get very original with you on the psychoanalysts. Jungian, my goodness. We're going all the way back. This is an oldie logs alert. Back in my day, basically. <laughs> Carl Jung. Because regression, I mean, it can be it feels pretty negative when you're on the receiving end of it, right? And I think it has a sort of pejorative sound to it. Like your kid is sucking his thumb again. That's regressive behavior. And there must be something wrong with you, mom, that it's happening and certainly something wrong with your kid and stamp it out as soon as possible. That's not really the appropriate approach, as we'll discuss. But Carl Jung says that we all have regressive tendencies. And when we sort of give in to them, it is an attempt to achieve feelings of innocence, security, love, and trust, that we're actually seeking those things in a very positive way. Wait, was security on that list? Yes. Yeah. Childhood innocence, security, love, and trust. Yeah, security seems to me the top of the triangle for everybody right now, right? And I feel like this is worth pointing out, and I think somebody said it on the Facebook group at some point, you may think that you are fundamentally shielding your kids from what is going on. But they're picking up on it, even if they've literally never heard of the virus, that you have not allowed that information in. Although I guess any, that's like only a baby because kids know they're not going to school. They understand that there's been a foundational shift. And I have a friend this week who has a newborn baby and their dog unexpectedly passed away and it's coronavirus. And this baby is literally four months old and hasn't slept well in two nights. Aww. That baby is picking up on the fact that their household is enveloped in a tremendous amount of sadness and anxiety. Yeah, that's amazing. And so you don't have to be walking around every day being like, oh, the virus, it's so bad. And I don't know what we're going to do. And what if the food supply chain breaks down? You may think, well, we're not manifesting a lot of anxiety, but your kids are anxious no matter. Yes, it might be better to kind of always be the presence of like, we're going to get through this and we're going to get through it together. And here's how that works. But you don't have to be whirling around and screaming about the virus 24 hours a day for your kid to be having a tremendous amount of anxiety. You know, one of our listeners said on the, I believe it was the Facebook group, that we talked a couple episodes back about how kids might start acting this out in their play, start talking about the coronavirus and ways that would kind of maybe freak you out, but you should leave it alone because they're just sort of trying to make sense of it. She went in to get her toddler after his nap, and he was putting a blanket over a stuffed animal's face and saying he's getting ready to go to the grocery store. And she said, you know, my first reaction would have been like, Ugh, like swoop down on that, fix it, you know, reassure, whatever. But she realized that this kid making sense. And as you said, it isn't like this person has the news blaring 24 seven. She's doing a good job of protecting her kid from what you can protect them from. But it's just like, it's just out there. It's not our job, as you have said more than once, to pretend that this isn't happening in the world for our kids. We can't do that. That's an impossible task. And I also think you may not realize, and I'm speaking to the you that is me now, what parts of it are anxiety producing. Like, I feel like I'm constantly like, dad and I are in pretty good shape and we're being very careful and we aren't going to get sick and die because I have projected that that's what's scary to my kids. And we went out 
early, early on in the whole thing. And we went out for a hike and we drove to a kind of abandoned wooden area near our house and we walked around and it was nice to be outside. But when we were, we stopped to pick something up on the way home and my husband put a mask on and my kids were like, look at that guy, he's wearing a mask, pointing at somebody else. And it's like the idea of seeing anybody in a mask really scared them. Like something's Mm -hmm. really wrong if people are wearing masks. And now in New York State, at least, masks are mandated everywhere you go. And so now they have to wear a mask and we're all in masks and people in masks everywhere. And you forget that like masks are kind of I mean, doctors wear them, I guess, but like there's something scary about masks. Like doctors wear them, dentists wear them, (laughs) and robbers wear them. Like those are all scary people. Yeah, masks are not worn by the non-scary. It's not like, you know, the fairy godmother who drifts down is wearing a mask. Masks have a scary association for kids. And you can talk to them about it. You can use your words. But I think, yes, you're not going to get them through a global pandemic where everything, including their schools, are shut down and people are dying without them experiencing some anxiety. And that should not be your goal. And guess who else feels anxious when they see people in masks? Me? Yeah. You. Right. Like, right. We are all regressing. This was an interesting point that I found a psychologist named Noel McDermott. He said that the need we are all having to get back in touch with our summer camp friends and our college roommates and people we haven't talked to in a very long time, reaching out to them like, are you okay? How are you doing? Are you okay? Is us reassuring ourselves that we are okay. We're trying to go back to an earlier time and we're trying to reconnect to an innocent thing that's outside of this. I thought I was just being a good human being, but apparently that's kind of regressive behavior that we are all many of us engaging in. doesn't make it bad. It doesn't make it bad, but I think there's an interesting point, a larger point that we're getting to, which I haven't thought a lot about and I want to think more about. One of my children's classmates had a very tragic event happen. And as a result, it affected the whole school and there were counselors who were available and we went to see a counselor. And the counselor was talking to me about how to help my daughter through this really terrible experience. And she said, you know, a lot of children who go to suburban schools and have, you know, functioning families and basically like are kind of at the top of the food chain experientially in terms of just born, you know, lucky, never have to deal with these kind of experiences. And it's tragic that your daughter has to deal with this experience. But on the flip side, there are tremendous positives to dealing with trauma as a young child. And you wouldn't wish this on your child, but it's happened to your child now. And so take the gifts that come with this tragedy and don't leave them behind. Oh, I got emotional saying that, but I'm trying to remember that now, you know? Yeah, we're in it so we can make it better for our kids and we can help them, I guess, find the gifts of this, but always remembering that pretending as if this hasn't happened and isn't happening doesn't have to be our job. That is, in fact, not the best way to serve them. Exactly, that letting them confront the fear and terrible nature of this entire event is you're robbing them of a gift if you try to be like, I am the person who blocks this entire experience from happening to you. Mm -hmm. All right, we'll be right back. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses, first two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. 
Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we say? say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is... Toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. We agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. (laughs) But all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code motherhood at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code motherhood for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. That makes me think, Amy, of remember the movie Life is Beautiful? It's a bit of an oldie locks alert. Back in my day. Yep, it's a good one, though. But it's basically the story of a father and a son who are sent to a concentration camp. And the father makes it his job in this kind of beautiful way in the movie to make everything that's happening at the concentration camp for himself and his son into a game. And he makes it The story is that he makes his child believe that everything that's happening is like a funny game that they're playing so that his child does not have the traumatic experience of the concentration camp. And it's a beautiful movie and it has many beautiful pieces of it. But I think that what we're fundamentally saying is that's exactly not our job in this situation. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, that kid was seeing things that his father was spinning into something else before his eyes. I mean, I think the kid was a willing participant in it, right? Like the kid was like going hungry and wearing rags. So it wasn't like he didn't know it was happening, but he it helped him to have his dad sort of transform it. But yeah, I don't think that's our job. Yeah, I think our job is to, and nor is the experience for most of our children that traumatic. And so I think that's another part of it is that We want to tell ourselves the story. Our children can handle this and we should answer the questions that they're asking. And I feel like that's an instinct that I have to fight myself where I'll kind of, oh, it's really not that bad. And now we're having much deeper dinner conversations about like, what is this really looking like? And I think it's better for my children 
that I'm honest with them about what's really going on. And I'm not trying to make it seem like, oh, we're just out of school because they're being super cautious. But it's really not a big deal what's happening. It is a big deal what's happening. But it depends on the kid and the ages. And so, you know, I have another friend with several little kids at home who just told me over the weekend she has not told her kids yet that there's no school until the end of the year because they seem quite content going day to day and nobody's asked. And she's like, I'm not sure I need to be like, sit down, everyone. I have news for you. And I think she's right in that case because her kids are young enough to be taking it day by day and cutting things out of construction paper. So it depends. I think it depends on your situation. Absolutely. And I don't think that's even in contrast to what we're talking about, because one of our big rules is, right, answer the questions asked. So my kids are 11, 9, and 8, mm-hmm. and they're also playing headset gaming with their friends and stuff. So they're hearing stuff. I will say the school is closed for the rest of the year. We had two, my daughter is in a play that she had the lead role in and that her brothers were all in the same play. And so it's been four years of waiting to be in the play. And that was the one thing that she couldn't let go. And so the news that school was really closing till the end of the year and that that play was not going to happen, I was dreading breaking it to her. And my son is graduating from the fourth grade, which our school ends in the fourth grade. It's not the biggest deal in the world that he's missing it, but it's a big party and you get to march around with your little hat on through the high school. And his brother did it. And so he knows that he's missing, you know, the big end of the year party and all the fun stuff that goes with that. They all had stuff that they're missing. And I was like, oh, gosh, how am I going to break this news? And one of the kids told them on the gaming headset (laughs) and came up and was like, is this really it? And it worked out great. Like, I wouldn't have planned it that way. But it was so much easier for him hearing it from his friend. Oh, because you would have been punished, right? They talk about shooting the messenger. Oh, (laughs) that's the problem. The shooting the messenger thing is something I didn't really. I feel like you tried. You were Cassandra. You tried to warn me about the shooting the messenger messenger thing. Yep. But OMG. And that's what they say all the time. No matter what I tell them, you have a dentist appointment after school today, back in the days when we used to go to the dentist. Remember that guys? Or this terrible thing has happened or one of the family members has died. It doesn't matter what it is. It's always, why would you tell me that? Yeah. You've ruined my day. You make everything worse. I didn't know that was going to (laughs) happen, even though you warned me a million times. But wait, let's talk about the actual regressive behavior. Okay. So all this is happening and all of a sudden you have a kid who's sleeping in your bed every night and what are you going to do? Or, you know, sucking their thumb, whatever. There are some things that you shouldn't do. And so I wanted to sort of go through these because I've certainly tried all of these and they don't work for different reasons. So this list is from Claire Lerner. She's a child development specialist and she wrote an article for Psychology Today. I'll put the link in the show notes. You can look where you're listening right now. You can tap right in the app or go to whatfreshellpodcast.com. Okay, so these are the things she says do not work to address regressive behavior in any situation. Telling them they're acting like babies, sort of shaming them. Oh, but that is just such a go-to for me. (laughs) I mean, it feels good when you say it, right? Oh, well, it's of course your first reaction is like, why are you acting like a baby? Right. I have, and I will say, you're calling me out. I have found myself since this started I have said to every single one of my kids, why are you acting like a two-year-old? And I've said it in an angry, mean, yelly way, not in a like, why are you acting like this? I mean, like, why are you acting like a two-year-old? It's not great. Hard to resist, though. Hard to resist, but she says it can paradoxically lead to more acting out behavior because it's an attack on their sense of self. I get that, but I still do it. Sorry. Yeah, no. 
But I mean, also, I mean, we know why they're acting like, why are you doing this? Why are you acting like a baby? Like, we know. We already know the answer to that question. So we don't have to ask our four-year-old who won't be able to answer except by, you know, more throwing food on the floor. It, bribing, cajoling, rewarding. This is one I do. And I feel like sometimes it has worked, but only when they're ready to give up the pacifier. If you're putting all kinds of like, oh, please, mommy will get you anything you want. If you just wear your big boy pants today, if you do that too much, the low power strategy of dominance that your little child is exhibiting becomes a high power strategy of dominance. And the most powerful thing they can do in that moment is hold that poop in. You know what I mean? That's all they got. And if you're showing them that it does have some currency, then they're going to play that card. Yep. And it reminds me of my mom used to say this all the time. And I, it's one of those touchstones that I come back to again and again. People do things because they work. And people are in situations because they work for them on some fundamental level. So even if you're in a really bad situation or making really bad choices, it's working for you on some level. And so, yes, your kid is baby talking because it's working for them on some level. And you're saying, stop acting like a two-year-old because it's working on some level. It's not that it doesn't work. Yes. It's that it's not the best choice. It's not the best choice. Okay. The next thing that doesn't work is demanding, punishing, you know, coming down really hard on the behavior. You will go to sleep right now and not stand in the living room and cry. When you demand that your child act more independently right now, it makes them feel insecure, which means that there'll be more regression. Amy, you're really cutting the legs off a lot of my parenting techniques here. <laughs> it's not great for me. You better be coming in hot with some solutions because this is pretty much everything I do all the time. If stop that right now work, there would be no what fresh hell laughing in the face of motherhood. Or it would be very short episodes. I guess that's true. But I mean, stop that right now. You're not going to not say that. And sometimes it works. Is our goal to not say that anymore? Oh. No. All right. You better have some solutions at the end of this. Because like I said, you're bumming me out big time right now. No, this is when your kid is really exhibiting this regressive behavior, like wetting the bed or, you know, insisting that they need to sleep with mommy every night, like stuff you need to address. Right. Stop that right now. Yeah. Stop that right now. It doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. The last one is using logic. Okay. Again, like what are we left with? But go ahead. Give me the logic example. <laughs> well, trying to explain to them the reason you're doing this is because you're feeling insecure about the coronavirus. Like logic has no foothold here. They are expressing things that they can't even understand, let alone express by, you know, throwing a tantrum. So you can't meet a tantrum with an article from Psychology Today and expect them to <laughs> understand it. It helps you, hopefully, but it doesn't help them. Right. I get it. Okay, so now your quiver is totally empty. Yeah, I've got nothing. I'm like, sorry, kids, you're feral now. You're on your own. Amy has told me I can't do any of the parenting that I do. The other bit of bad news, just to really nail it down, this is also Claire Lerner. She says that if your kid wants to sleep in your bed, don't let them because you're inadvertently reinforcing that their own bed is an unsafe place. Okay, I'm going to push back a little bit and I'm going to say that I understand <laughs> the point of this, but we're in a pandemic. Yep. And... I think kids are looking for some comfort and that is fine to give them. I have had a kid in my room for the first time ever, like four nights since this whole thing began. Sometimes they just freak out. I mean, it's fine. You know, I have a friend who lost her husband and has two kids and she's home alone during the pandemic. And we have a separate apartment 
kind of thing that's my husband's office but he's not working in there right now and i said if you freak out some night because you're home alone with two daughters come stay in our apartment no we wouldn't be in contact with each other like you might need even though it's not logical you might get scared during a pandemic and be like i gotta go just stay on someone else in someone else's house because i'm scared you know i think you have to be open-hearted enough to say some nights this may get overwhelming but you also want to hold your boundaries to the point where you're not like we now become a family who sleeps together every night or unless that works for you right i don't want to be like co-sleeping is bad and everybody's sleep in their own bed all the time if it works for you Great. I mean, we're starting from the place of we're assuming that your bedwetting kid is not working for you, that your kid that's kicking you in the face and keeping you up all night and your spouse is on the couch is not working for you in week three. And that's what we're talking about, that your kid wants to suck her thumb more often is not necessarily something that needs to be corrected at all. Right. I mean, there's regression that's fine and regression that's not, I guess. And even for me, it is not OK for me to start living a life where my 11, 9 and 8 year old sleep every night with my husband and I in our room. Not OK. But do we during the pandemic when someone says, I don't know, I'm just feeling scared, say you can sleep in our room one night. But we do usually say if you sleep here tonight, you are definitely sleeping in your room tomorrow night. We're trying to be the guardians of the gate a little bit, but allow for a little bit of the regression because they do seem to need it. And I need it. I mean, I had one of my kids was very sick about six weeks back, had to take them to the ER. And yeah, like they slept in my bed that night because they were worried and I was worried and I wanted to make sure they slept okay that night. And my kids are grown. They're big. So yeah, we have to be careful. This episode is not about like shaming you if your kids are not keeping to all their milestones in the appropriate way right now. They're probably not. And we're all eating too many pretzels. So but here's why it's happening. And then you can meet it with a little more compassion. When we come back, we'll talk about what actually might work to fix this. Absolutely. All right. We'll be right back. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E. Lumen.me and use the code Fresh at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. 
there are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent. And I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first time or second time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. And now, homeschooling day one versus homeschooling day 60. From the What Fresh Elf podcast. Day one. And so... The Secret Garden really functions not only as a story of a motherless child, but as a symbol of the possibilities of revitalization. Day 60. Differential equations are never going to come up in real life. Just skip that chapter. Day 1. I know it's hard that you're not going to be able to go to school, but don't worry. Daddy and I are going to work together to make your homeschooling journey fun. Day 60. Oh, really, honey? I need to flip the fractions before I divide? Big talk from a guy who didn't even know the deciduous forest was a biome. Day one. I've always believed in education. What you give in is what you get out. Day 60. What is the square root of 225? The square root of 225 is 15. Okay, write that down. Day one. Children, as you can see, I've made a detailed color-coded chart of how we are going to break up our day for maximum functionality. Day 60. Oh my God, you guys have been playing Fortnite for like eight hours straight. Listen to me. If you have any assignments that you will literally fall out of school if you don't turn in, go do them. This has been Homeschooling Day 1 versus Homeschooling Day 60. From the What Fresh Hell podcast. I want to, before we, you know, move into solutions, say one more thing that has really helped me reframe my thinking on this. I think one of the things that is going along with regression, and this I notice in my little kids, but I really notice it in my tweeny kids now, is that there is also a ton. Some of this regression is what my mother, the therapist, family therapist would call boundary-seeking behavior. Mm. And that is a really interesting way for me to frame it in my mind because the problem with giving in is not that you'll have a kid who is sucking their thumb until they're 20. The problem with giving in is that sometimes your kids are seeking boundaries because they feel like the world, as I understand it, has fallen apart. Everything's different. I don't understand the rules anymore. I am going to push and push and push on my mom to make sure that the rules are still there because that makes me feel safe. Such a good point. And so the idea of like a kid who is suddenly telling you to blank off and, you know, that's in a behavior you've never seen in an ele- your 11-year-old before, what they are asking you with that behavior is, I feel really unsafe. Are you still my mom who gives me boundaries? Yeah. And so you have to be like, that is unacceptable. I understand that you are anxious in a terribly difficult situation, but you will never behave that way in my house. That is what they are asking you for. Yeah. And they may ask it a lot and repeatedly, and it may be really frustrated because you're also very depleted right now. But I think even sometimes the baby talk and the thumb sucking is kind of, am I still safe? Is there someone to tell me not to do this? Is there someone to keep me, you know, hemmed in? And my mom would always say, you bring your boundaries in when that happens, because they want to go a little bit outside of the boundary and to see that it's still there. Mm. 
And I think that that is a really good thing to remember. And I'm constantly reminded of it myself right now. And I know a lot of people with tweens and teens are seeing that constant boundary seeking behavior. This might be like, oh, there's a pandemic going on. I'm going to sneak out and hang out with my friends. The reason you shut that down is A, because it's dangerous behavior, but B, because they're saying like, are you here to keep me safe? That's what they're asking you. They're seeking reassurance. And so the best way to address these behaviors is with reassurance. That's actually where the experts like Margaret Abels and many oh, others gosh. say you have to start. I once, my son was dancing around the living room and I said, you're a good dancer. You should take dance lessons. And he stopped dancing and looked at me and he said, I should teach dance lessons. <laughs> a for confidence. He's not that good a dancer. But I should write parenting articles is what I'm saying, Amy. You should. I have this quote right here. Dr. Laura Markham, we've talked about her on the show before. She's always got good advice. And she says, in this situation, the best intervention is reassurance. So that's the first thing that works. And doctors Hermione N. Locko and Theodore A. Stern talk about regressive behavior. I'll put this link in the show notes, too. Not in terms of coronavirus. This article is actually about was for doctors in hospitals with adult patients who are like acting like babies, you know, like people who are in the hospital for a long stay for completely unrelated to the moment will start doing some crazy, weird, regressive stuff. And the way to fix it, these psychologists say with adults is to address the underlying unmet need of the person. And you can apply that to the kid too. You have to figure out what's the unmet need. I mean, we know what the unmet need is, right? I'm freaking out. Help me not feel freaked out, mom. Addressing that need will usually fix the behavior. It's so interesting. I was on a Zoom call with a bunch of moms the other day and somebody said, oh, well, my kid doesn't have his tablet right now and this they didn't have their screens. Why, why, why? And all of the moms who had similar age kids were like, oh, they've been lying. And I was thinking about our episode where we talk about how lying is a symptom. Lying isn't really a, it's not a personality trait. It's a symptom mm -hmm. and it's a boundary seeking behavior too. Yeah. So in, in that case, if the kid is lying, that's kind of another regressive behavior, right? If, it is. If they're lying, you need to address their insecurity. It's hard because with the four-year-old, you can't say like, I know you're sucking your thumb because you're very anxious about, you know, like you have to do it appropriately. And if you said to your 14-year-old, I know you're trying to curse at the dinner table because you're actually feeling very sad about not being able to see your friend. I mean, they'll, if you try to tell them what they're feeling, they will <laughs> smack you down for sure, especially as they get older. Yeah. And I don't think that you ever let the behavior go because what we're saying is it's boundary seeking. Right. You say, let's stop sucking our thumb and let's not curse at the dinner table or you'll have to leave the dinner table because you're cursing and hopefully tomorrow night you have better behavior. You know, whatever your boundary is, when they hit it, you enforce it. Yes. Except if it's like potty stuff, you know, potty training accidents and that kind of thing. That's something that you probably want to use a light touch with, like if they're suddenly having accidents or they suddenly want to poop in their underwear, then, you know, you kind of need to blank face it, as you would say. I mean, clean up the accident. You don't not acknowledge that it happened, but you don't give them an angry response. You don't give it a ton of response. Claire Lerner says that you should just say, well, it's your body and you're deciding where you want to make peeps and poops. And so you're showing me that you want to wear a diaper right now. And then, you know, let them wear the diaper, let them wear the pull-ups and follow their lead. Don't make it a huge battle for control because they are here for that battle. So they've got all day. They're home with us. 
<laughs> they got all day. And I think that's the same. And it's, oh, I need this reminder so much right now with my 11 year old. The blank facing is the key that the boundary is hit. And it's okay, if you choose to speak to me that way, I'm not going to be able to help you with your homework. So I'm going to leave. And if you can speak correctly, let me know. Otherwise, I'm afraid you're not going to get help with your schoolwork today. And that's probably going to affect your grade. Bye-bye. And it's not because I am also regressing. I am jumping at every piece of bait, you know? Mm -hmm. You're not ever going to talk to me that way in this house. And it's like, they're checking to see if I can stay calm and I'm failing the test a lot, but it's just good to remember that it is, unfortunately, we don't behave that way at the dinner table. So I'm going to have to ask you to And you're providing reassurance. And then we're going to go on with our dinner. You've hit the boundary and I'm not going to be the pop-up toy that goes crazy. I'm going to just say, that's not how we behave. And here's the consequence. It's like steady and calm. And yes, the boundary is here right where it always is. And we don't have to yell about it because you know this. Yeah. Oh, gosh, it's so true when you can do that. And it's so hard to do, but it does work. Okay, clingy kids. Here's some good advice if you have a kid who's extra clingy right now. I mean, you sort of indulge in it to the extent that you can, but you know what they're seeking. They're seeking connection with you. So give them a big hug when they're not asking for it, when they're not talking in a baby voice, when they're not expecting it at all. Give them extra affection, you time, maybe an extra story at bedtime. Give them these things when they're not asking for it in the annoying way they've come up with because you know that's what they need. Or, and also, because I'm dealing with this with my eight-year-old right now who's always like, mommy hugs while she's supposed to be doing her (laughs) schoolwork, you know? It's become her kind of like baby talk. I need a hug, mommy, touchstone. And it's irritating and not that winning. And I mean, it's also cute. I guess people might be listening to this and think I'm a total monster. But I mean, it's clearly a manifestation of like, I don't want to be doing homeschooling and I need this kind of attention that I almost always indulge it. Like, oh, mommy hugs. I've always got those to spare. Come over here. Cuddle, cuddle, cuddle. Great. Now back to your work. Mm-hmm. You know, that it doesn't become, it's like, of course, I'm always here to hug you and take care of you, but you're not fooling me. Go back to work. Mm-hmm. It's not going to become a thing of like, this is your tool for getting out of stuff. You're not letting the goalposts move further and further back, right? Same thing when it shows up at 830 at night. Mommy, I love you. I want to be in bed with you. Great. Come on, hop up. Well, let's do this for five minutes before you go to your regular bed. Yeah. And so you indulge it and you try to fill the need, but you don't move the goalposts. That's key. For bedtime stuff, you can expand the bedtime routine, right? Give them an extra story. I'm reading a book at night to my seventh grader. Well, she's not a seventh grader yet, but she will be soon. Reading a book to her at night before bed. I mean, I'm enjoying that, right? I have the time. It's comforting for me too. We have this thing that connects us right now, but which is like for 15 minutes before I go to bed. And last night I was like, too late. It got too late. You know, it is happening at least in my house. Bedtime is creeping later and later without these external things in place that usually are. And so I went to bed before my 12 year old last night. But you know, that was fine because we have this consistent routine of what I can offer her when I can. And that reassurance seems to be working. And don't forget the Sunday reset. We've talked about this before, but we do this Sundays is your bedtime is creeping towards 10 o'clock. This, we need to get back to a 8.30 bedtime for you. Your eating is really pretty gnarly and you are making yourself three desserts a day, I'm finding. Let's cut that down. And it's a good time to have back to one as your goal and like introduce that 
idea to your kids, which is, listen, it's a hard time. We're all, I know for myself, I mean, I really, my eating habits are out of control. I'm struggling to exercise. It's freezing cold and raining every day. We just had snow in New York. I mean, I am baking and eating and just getting, listen, do I need to look like a supermodel and do my, you know, swimsuit calendar in the fall? I really don't. But I know for myself that gaining 40 pounds and not exercising for three months is not going to make me feel better. And so I'm trying to go back to one on Sundays and say, let me find three days I can exercise. Let me just make slightly smarter choices about is a scone okay? Of course. But am I mindlessly eating seven scones because I just am trying to fill an hour? I could cut that out. And maybe there are things, you know, maybe you can start pushing back on the, oh, you know, we don't have pacifiers outside the crib. I'm going to let you have that while you watch your show today because you've been such a good boy all week. But then it's going to go back in our crib and we have to stay there until bedtime. It doesn't necessarily mean the wheels are off and everybody just does whatever they want, right? But you can give that kid an extra hug give them reassurance, cut the part where you feel like you must be a bad mother that this weird thing is happening, that they were in big boy pants and now they're not. And, you know, address it for what it is. This is a moment that needs an extra hug and some reassurance and then the boundary represent and, you know, in a calm way. Again, not because does it matter if your kid ends up on a pacifier for six months longer because they were involved in a global pandemic? It does not. No, you're right. But does the feeling that everyone in your house is out of control feel good? No, it does not. And so the question is, what boundaries are important to help everybody in your house feel more in control? And if you don't sleep train right now, it's fine. Your kid will sleep train a year from now. Might it be a little bit harder? Eh, I don't even know. But even if it is, who cares? If it's easier for you. But I find like, okay, does running around the house and picking up every single thing and keeping it spit spot all the time, it's driving me crazy because there's five people living in an enclosed space all the time. So that's annoying. But I know for myself, when I walk out every morning and it looks like a grenade went off, it just is not a mentally healthy way for me to start my day. So we need to put some boundaries in around keeping the house clean. And this morning, I just went up and gave everyone a checklist and you've got to check this checklist off. And then they're into Fortnite right now. If you'll get a dollar and then you can spend it towards your Fortnite <laughs> stupidity, you know, fine. Dollar. Because I need a dollar a day. I know it's like the salt mines around here. But in 20 days of doing it, they can get whatever stupid, horrible thing they want on a video game that is meaningless. But it gives us a little bit of a reset because I think in a world without boundaries, nobody feels safe. Yeah, that's true. But in the meantime, like your kids are playing more Fortnite. I'm on Facebook too much. You're making too many baked goods. Like too many baked goods. Amy, save me. This is normal. This is normal. We are all trying to get support and reassurance from wherever we can get it. Our kids from us and us from, I mean, my gosh, like the Real Housewives, are they even shooting right now? We have limited options. No, we're really going to be <laughs> hosed. And in six months, we're going to know how hosed right. we really were. But I've said it before, am I right? Oh, writing mentor would always say perfect is the enemy of done meaning like oh I could be better so that keeps you from being done perfect is the enemy of getting through the day and so don't worry about perfect but like get to a place where you feel snug and safe and your kids have those nice snug you know how you swaddle a baby really tight because they're mm. so like jerky when they're little that's kind of the sensation I think your kids are looking for nice snug boundaries to make them feel good you solved it. Solved it. Good research this week, Amy. Thanks. Amy, 
as always, we'll be posting all of this in the show notes and you can find them at whatfreshhellpodcast.com. And also, guys, I want to remind you that if you go to whatfreshhellpodcast.com forward slash promo codes, you can find a list of all the offers from our sponsors because some people on Facebook were like, what was that thing where they offered that thing with the thing? So that's where you find them. Mm, good to know. We're on Facebook at What Fresh Hellcast. We're on Instagram at What Fresh Hellcast. We're on Twitter at WFH Podcast. I'll put all the links to the studies and the stuff I talked about today on the website, and I'll put it up on Facebook, too. You can come read it. And we're also on YouTube now, guys. Search for What Fresh Health Podcast on YouTube, and you will find our YouTube channel and subscribe. Thanks for listening, you guys. Thanks, guys. Talk to you next week. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Guilt Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.